Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What is happening, everybody? It is Tuesday, and uh, breaking down the upcoming UFC slate. If you guys didn't see, the packs just dropped in the DraftKings marketplace. So if you guys want to get access to any of those packs, they're going to be available for at least the next couple of days, as long as they don't sell out immediately, which I don't expect them to, but uh, they probably will in the coming days. So if you guys want to grab one of those packs, $20 for the upcoming UFC card, Sergey Spivak against Cyril Ghosn in the main event. And if you guys have any questions for me, at all. I'm here by myself on this show. So if you guys want to ask me questions, go ahead, fire those into the YouTube chat. I also put this up on Twitter. So I'll check my Twitter account. If you guys have any questions at all for the card and you want to ask me on Twitter, I'll check that as well to get to those questions. Now I'm going to share some stats on screen here. Well, actually some data and stats. So I figured we could look through some of the initial betting odds and see what kind of information we could come away with based on that data and see who it is. Why is it not showing up on screen? There we go. Took me a second. I'm also self-producing the show, and for whatever reason, StreamYard was not cooperating. Took it a second for uh, the stats to come up here on the page. And if you guys want access to any of the free stuff that's available at DraftKings for Rainmakers as well, there's a link below that is going to get you a totally free PGA starters pack and also NFL. There's now an NFL starters pack. You could also get totally for free. Get to pick a quarterback of your choosing. I know the options off the top of my head. Joe Burrow is one. Justin Fields is another. So you take one of those quarterbacks and then you get a bunch of players alongside with to help you build out a lineup for week one. It's totally free. So no reason not to take advantage of it. Some people in the YouTube chat, Eric Lindquist, let's go. So Eric, not on the show with me, but he has the time probably to watch the show. So Eric, what's up? And uh, by the way, Eric, if you want to be like a pretend host for, for whatever reason, you can throw some questions in the YouTube chat if you have any questions uh, regarding the slate. And then Ritz also in the chat saying, yo, Greg, yo, Ritz, what is happening, man? And yeah, I want to start by showing you guys how I'll do a lot of my initial breakdowns of fights and try to figure out, you know, for Rainmaker's purposes and for DFS, which fighters and fights I want to target. And this does start by looking at the betting odds. It informs a lot of what I do. And there are some fights that I want to go ahead right in here and just show you guys some of the betting odds, what it means, and then ultimately, if that means that we want to target that fight in some of those fighters. 
And we've got a Eric right in the chat saying to buy packs or to not buy packs. That is the question. So we've got a bunch of fighters on this card that we're only going to be able to get through the packs because that we have some fighters who are making UFC debuts and uh, always does add a little bit of variance to some of these cards. When we have fighters, especially ones that are big favorites that are making debuts. For example, we know that Zyra Farm is terrible. So she's taking on a newcomer here in Jacqueline Cavalcante. I believe I'm pronouncing her name correctly. If not, I'm sure somebody will call me an idiot in the comments, which also makes uh, makes me feel good. No issue with you calling me out when I pronounce a name wrong. I always do think it's funny, though. And uh, Michael Ortiz saying, uh, always give out good advice. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Michael. And if you have any questions about the card, throw that into the YouTube chat. So stuff like this where we have like uh, Jacqueline Cavalcante, who's a nearly minus 400 favorite, actually is as wide as minus 400 over on Betway, minus 400 as well on this book, SIA. But in general, you see like minus 365 to as high as minus 400. It's really hard to know like, all right, what can we actually make of a fighter who's making her debut and only has like five professional fights. So that's stuff where I really will lean on the betting odds a little bit. But let's start at the top of the card with a fight that's going to be really important for us in Rainmakers contest, as well as DraftKings Classic contest, if you guys are playing those. Cyril Gaon taking on Sergey Spivak. You'll see Cyril Gaon right around a minus 160 to minus 170 favor. We've got heavyweights here, and the fight is expected to finish inside the distance, minus 350 for the fight to finish inside the distance. And if we look at some of the stats for these fighters, I don't agree with the betting line. I think that Sergey Spivak should be the favorite in this fight, just based on what we've seen out of Cyril Gaon in his recent outings. Now, it's not to say there's anything wrong with him losing two fighters like John Jones or Francis Ngannou, but it's the fact that his takedown defenses look so poor, 45% on paper, and how lost he's looked once he's had his back up against the mat. I think this is a pretty favorable matchup for Sergey Spivak. So I know on Twitter... We had Michael Lake had asked me, here's the question. Michael had asked me, I only own uh, four gone rares. And his question was, should he sell them or should he buy more and play the slate? So you're going to want exposure to this main event. It's one that I think we want to have in pretty much all of our lineups if possible. But I prefer the Spivak side. And it's for a lot of the reasons I just mentioned. We'll look at the stats of these two. Just talked about Cyril Gaon. 45% 45% takedown defense. If you look at what happened in his matchups against Francis Ngannou and against John Jones, John Jones lands two takedowns against Cyril Gaon on two attempts, and uh, neither of them were particularly well set up takedowns either. He's essentially tackled Cyril Gaon, and then once Gaon was on the ground, he was just totally lost there, and John Jones was able to submit him almost immediately. He was on the ground for like a minute before John Jones was able to find a submission. What's really concerning to me about Cyril Gaon is this matchup against Francis Ngannou, where not only did Gaon get taken down four times out of the five takedown attempts that Francis Ngannou attempted, but another spot, like I said before, he was totally lost on the mat. We saw Cyril Gaon with a real legitimate chance to just grind out this fight in the final round. I mean, Cyril, uh, Francis Ngannou was fighting on a totally screwed up knee. He was barely able to plant on it, was hardly able to put any kind of weight on it, wasn't able to be effective in the stand-up at all. But even on one leg, he was able to take down Cyril Gaon. He's able to control him on the map. And then even in the fifth round, where Cyril Gaon found himself in somewhat decent positions on the mat, he still ends up going for a heel hook, gets reversed, winds up on the bottom, where is basically just able to sit on top of him until the end of the fight and win the round. And now we're going to see Cyril Gaon against the best wrestling grappler that he's fought to this point in his career. Because Sergey Spivak 
has looked really good in the wrestling grappling in his recent fights. Sergey Spivak, if you look at his recent win streak, he just took down Derek Lewis six times and finished him in the first round. So Derek Lewis was able to get up just because he's ridiculously strong. Like Derek Lewis kind of defies jujitsu. He's a guy's like, oh, you take me down, you're controlling me. I'm just going to stand up because I'm really strong. But even with that said, Sergey Spivak was not deterred. He didn't get tired. He takes down Derek Lewis six times on eight attempts in one round. So even if he fails on the first or second takedown attempt against Cyril Gaon, Sergey Spivak is not going to give up. And in addition to that, I don't know that we're going to be able to see Cyril Gaon hold off this many takedown attempts if Spivak is able to put up eight in a single round. And Spivak, at least how we've seen him game plan for fights recently, he's fighting pretty smart. I do not think he's going to want to stand at range with Cyril Gaon because if that happens, he's losing the fight. I think Spivak could put that together. I think we do see him go out here and attempt takedowns just like he did against Derek Lewis. He knew he didn't want to stand and trade with Derek Lewis, shoots eight takedowns in a fight that lasted just over three minutes. So, I mean, do the math here. He was attempting over two takedown attempts per minute, nearly three per minute against Derek Lewis to get what he needed to win that fight. Against Augusto Sakai, he lands six takedowns in a fight that went into the second round. Against Greg Hardy, he lands three takedowns in a fight that he finished in the first round. All right, he gets sparked by Tom Aspinall. I think most guys in the heavyweight division get sparked by Tom Aspinall. He beat Alexi Olenek. He takes down Jared Von Dera three times and finished him in the second round. He takes down Carlos Felipe three times in that fight. So anyway, just given all that information that I just laid out there, Sergey Spivak is going to be cheaper than Cyril Gaon on the secondary market for this card. We don't have a ton of cards available yet for this event just because the pack dropped 30 minutes ago. So we haven't really seen a bunch of cards get flushed into the market yet. But when they do, I expect Spivak to be quite a bit cheaper than Cyril Gaon. Unfortunately, just like in the situation that Michael Lake is in, where I have gone cards that I have gotten in packs from the beginning of the year. So I don't have speedback cards. I have gone cards. So I'm just going to play the gone cards I have, but I'm going to be prioritizing playing Sergey Spivak on the second, uh, buying Sergey Spivak on the secondary market to play some of his cards for this event, because I do think that he not only should be favored, but I also think he would put up a massive score in a win based on his wrestling grappling upside. So that is a fight that we definitely want to target in the main event for sure. And here we've got Ritz saying, um, can use fighters in the fight packs for future events, or are they only good for this event? So if you are getting cards, it depends which ones. If you're getting the ones in the fight pack for this event, they're only good for this card. But if you bought, let's say, a takedown card of a Cyril Gone or or a Heat Wave card of Rose Nami Yunus, those are good until the end of this year. And that's that's the utility you're going to get out of them. So still realistically, since it's the end of August, most of these fighters are probably fighting the last time of the entire year. Maybe somebody fights again in December, but the most likely scenario is that we're only going to get one more use out of these fighters anyway, because I don't think any of them are all that likely to fight again at a later point in time during this year. Other fights that I think we should be targeting is going to be, uh, oh, and by the way, Eric asking a question, do you think that William Gomes picks up a short notice opponent this weekend? We'll see. Um, I don't know. I don't have a really great read on that. I will say that William Gomes sucks from a DFS perspective. If we go look at William Gomes, I'm trying to remember, who did he fight last? William Gomes last fight was against, let me pull this up on his stats page. Was it the Francis Marshall fight, which was, I think so. All right. So if we go to, uh, let's see. So the Pavlovich 
Blades. All right. I think. Yeah, here we go. This is the fight it was on. All right. So William Gomes had a big upset win over Francis Marshall. And so, Eric, I'm going to answer your question by saying I don't know. But at the same time, I'm going to add in this. William Gomes has a win over Francis Marshall in his last UFC fight. Here are the stats from that fight. William Gomes landed 27 of 79 significant strikes, 30 of 84 strikes overall. There's no wrestling or grappling upside. There's a guy who's a, uh, a French kickboxer. So he wins the fight, but it was a massively unimpressive performance. Part of it is because Francis Marshall is just not particularly good himself. But the other side of it, too, is that William Gomes is just a low-output fighter that look at his stats whenever he's been in the UFC. And I know it's a small sample size. It's only two fights. He's won both of his fights, but... Still, I mean, 32 significant strikes in his first win, 27 significant strikes in his second win. You just can't really count on this guy to have any kind of real volume. So to answer your question, could he get a replacement opponent? Sure. But unless it's a total can, this is just not a guy who's a particularly great DFS scorer. And uh, by the way, his fight against Lucas Almeida has been canceled for this fight, if you guys were not aware of that. So if we look at the other fights that I talked about wanting to target on this card, I want to show you guys the Volkan Uzdemir against Bogdan Guskov uh, fight because it is a fight that is minus 132 to finish under one and a half rounds. We currently have Volkan Uzdemir around a minus 180, minus 190 favor, which is going to make him the primary target for Rainmaker's purposes. On the other side with Guskov, it is really hard to know what to make of him because if we go to his SureDog page, go to SureDog, and this is something that's going to be more important for a fight card like this where we just don't have UFC data on a lot of these fighters is if we go to... Actually, I'll go to uh, Topology. It's probably a little bit easier for this. So if we go to the page of Guskov, here's the one downside of me producing this by myself, trying to also type stuff in. But anyway, all right, so Bogdan Guskov, look at his topology page. By the way, the guy looks like Anthony Smith on steroids. If Anthony Smith had no hair and did a bunch of steroids, he would look like Bogdan Guskov. So here's the problem with Guskov's fight history. He's making his UFC debut. He's a really impressive record, but he's fighting nobodies. So if you look at him fighting an MMA series, he has a win here over Carlos Eduardo, 20 and 10 record. Before that, he beats a guy with a four and one record, seven, two and one record, four and two record, loses to uh, Vasalichevsky, who has a 33 and eight record. So he's fighting a lot of guys who are either very green in their MMA careers, or just guys who've been around for a while that don't have the most impressive records, like I said, like a 20 and 10, somebody with a, a six and four record, a 12 and nine record. So it's really hard to know what to make of Guskov. But at the very least, we do know this. Of the fights he's been in, one has gone to decision. He is two wins by submission, 12 wins by KO, one loss by KO. So of all the fights that he's been in professionally, only one of them has gone to decision. And then we have on the other side, no time Volkan Uzdemir, who also tends to have a lot of his fights end early. So with that in mind, on paper, this fight should end in the first or second round, which is why the under one and a half rounds, going back to the odds for this fight, pretty heavily juiced. Minus 132 for under one and a half rounds. Fight is minus 400 to finish inside the distance. 
I'm going to have to lean towards Volkan Uzdemir just based on his experience level in the MMA and the fact that he's fought actual competition, that we know who it is. Guskov is definitely a finisher. He's somebody who, if he does not get a finish, like I said, I do expect him to get finished. I think his cardio is also pretty suspect. So Uzdemir, I'm going to pretty heavily favor him as far as Rainmakers go. It makes some, it makes some sense to take shots on Guskov as well. But this is a fight that we definitely want to be targeting. It's another really high-priority fight for Rainmakers purposes. Another fighter here I want to talk about is Farid Basharat taking on Kletzen Rodriguez. And this fight, even though it's minus 160 to go the distance, I think Basharat could still score really well in this fight, even if it does go to decision, because this is a guy who fights with a lot of output. By the way, this should not be the opening fight on the card. This is a banger. This fight should be somewhere on the on the main card. But look at the output for Basharat. Lands 5.8 significant strikes per minute, only absorbs 2.43. So really, really good striking differential there. In addition to that, lands three takedowns per 15 minutes with an 83% takedown defense. And this is a really, really good prospect in Farid Basharat. He also has a brother who fights in the UFC. To this point, we've seen him fight twice. Once was on the Contender Series. His UFC debut came against Damon Blackshear, which in hindsight, this is a win that has aged very well. This is a really good UFC debut win against Damon Blackshear, who even though Blackshear lost his last fight, I personally thought he won it 29-28. And in the fight before that, he landed only the third twister in UFC history against Jose Johnson. And also Mario Bautista, that's decently high level of competition that Blackshear lost to, even if I thought he won. And also if you go to MMADecision.com, you see the majority of the media also scored that fight for Blackshear. That aside, good win in that fight for Basharat. And then when you consider also the fact that all of the output we've seen him land, 116 significant strikes on the contender uh, on the uh, contender series, three takedowns in each of the two times we've seen him in the octagon, a lot of output on his side. And I think the same could be said on the other side of this fight in Kletzen Rodriguez, who he himself lands six significant strikes from and only absorbs three. I think this is going to be a banger. I think this is going to be a, a fight that takes place Probably primarily on the feet. If somebody does land takedowns, it's probably going to be more so the Basharat side. But just considering all the output in this fight, nearly six significant strikes landed for both of them and how well I rate Basharat as a prospect. I like him a good amount, even though the fight's minus 160 to go to decision. So uh, free Basharat. I do think that he's somebody, whether it's for the finish or a decision win, I think he should score pretty well. Got Eric wants me to talk about the uh, St. Denis fight. I don't have like a super strong take on this one, taking on Tiago Moises. I think the biggest issue is that St. Denis in a lot of his wins where we've seen him score well, like for his last fight, uh, for example, against Ishmael Bonfim, he's been reliant on grappling and finishes. And Tiago Moises is a better grappler than Benoit St. Denis. I think that St. Denis is the better, the better striker and probably a better finisher on the feet. If we go and look at what the current betting odds are for this fight, we have, it's also like a weird contract of, uh, contrast of styles from a standpoint of St. Denis fights generally tend to score really well. Tiago Moises fights generally tend to score really shitty because he's a fairly low output fighter. Uh, this is minus 165 to finish inside the distance. Uh, I do think it's actually worth betting this fight at plus money to go to decision. But if we go and look at some of the stats here for our friend Eric, You'll see Tiago Moises. Here's the biggest issue with a lot of his fights. 2.47 significant strikes landed per minute. He does have a negative differential absorbing 3.9, but he just stalls a lot of fights and makes that a lot of things just don't happen 
in a lot of his outings. So his last fight against Mel Costa, he lands four takedowns, ends up getting a second round finish. With that said, Mel Costa took that fight on like four days notice. He had a pretty good showing in his UFC debut. We had the fight against Chris Jos Yagos, where Moises was ultimately able to find a submission in the first round of that fight, but still didn't score particularly well because so little happened. He gets a finish three minutes into the first round, but only lands one takedown before getting the finish. And before that, only three significant strikes landed. We had the fight against Joel Alvarez, where he got steamrolled. The fight against Islam Mahachev, where sure, he loses. But even Mahachev didn't put up a massive score in that fight. Fourth round finish with 61 significant strikes and only three takedowns landed. It's worth getting some exposure to, but this isn't something that I'm going to be targeting all that heavily for Rainmaker's purposes. Uh, maybe I'll feel a little bit differently earlier in the week, uh, later in the week. Maybe something will change when we see these fighters step on the scale. But not a fight that I'm like super, super keen to go target, especially when you consider that it's a fight that, you know, minus 165 to finish inside the distance, sure, but still close to a pick And I'm not sure unless it's a first or second round finish, it scores especially well. Dirty Muse DFS wants to know, should we fade the Rose Nama Yunus fight? This is the toughest fight on the slate for me to really make sense of because we've got Menon Firo, who's looked like an outstanding prospect to this point. And then Rose, we know about all her accolades, right? Zhang Wiley, she beats her to reclaim the belt. She beats Zhang Wiley to defend her belt, then has the dud of all duds in the fight against Carla Esparza, where we had Rose as like, what, a minus 250, minus 300 favorite in that spot. And she just does nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, neither did Carla, but this was a fight. It was a split decision. It was a five-round staring match. Carlos Sparza lands two of 11 takedowns over five rounds, 37 significant strikes to 30 significant significant strikes in favor of Rose Nama Yunus. But I mean, the fight just sucked. It's one of the worst fights I've ever seen in my entire life. Probably this one, and then maybe like the Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis fight. Like, I, I think those are probably the two worst fights I've ever seen. And so now we've got Rose Nama Yunus. She's coming off a layoff. And she's also moving up a weight class. She's gone from 115 to 125 against a super prospect in Menon Firo. And what is Nam Yunus's game plan going to look like in this fight? If she chooses to wrestle and grapple, I think she should have advantages on the mat if she gets Firo down. It's just, I don't know how to trust Rose after that last fight that she had. She's a massive underdog. I do think this fight is probably closer to 50-50 just because if we see the prime version of Rose Namajunas show up, I think she could take, she could land takedown. She could have wrestling grappling success. Manon Firo on paper does have good takedown defense. It is 83%. But if you look at her level of competition, she's never fought somebody who's had the same wrestling and grappling credentials that Rose Namajunas has. And it's not to say that Rose is the best wrestler in the world, but she is a great grappler. And she is somebody who we've seen land, you know, close to two takedowns per 15 minutes over the course of her career. But, you know, she fights Caitlin Chukagian. There's no real massive takedown threat for Manon Firo against Chukagian. She fights Jennifer Maya, another one, no real massive takedown threat. She uh, did get taken down once in that fight. She looked pretty good. Jennifer Maya, former title challenger in her own right. But still, Jennifer Maya is not necessarily the, the same level of competition that Rose Namajunas is. Mara Bueno Silva who I do think we rate pretty well as a finisher right now, but she's not a very active wrestler. She hardly ever lands takedowns in her fight, so she doesn't land takedowns against Minon Firo. It did look good that she was able to stay up on her feet and didn't get taken down by Tabitha Ricci, and then Victoria Leonardo is just not a UFC-caliber fighter. So of everything we've seen from Minon Firo to this point, I do think that Tabitha Ricci is probably the best win relative to what we could expect from a Rose Namajunas fight. 
But still, Rosenam Yunus is quite a step up from what Tabitha Ricci brings to the table. So to answer your question, Dirty uh, dirty Mutt, or was it Dirty dirty Mert DFS, should we fade the Rosenam Yunus fight? For Rainmaker's purposes, I would like to. Unfortunately, I've had a Rosenam Yunus legendary Heatwave card since last year because I got one of those in a pack, and the heat wave cards are good for multiple years, so I'm also going to have utility for it next year as well. So I kind of have to play this Rosenam Yunus card because it's a legendary. What else am I going to do with it? And I mean, I guess I could talk myself into saying that she has submission upside, but I would not go out of my way to target Rosenam Yunus cards or Manon Firo cards for that matter because I do think there's a chance she ends up being relatively popular because of the stinker that we ended up uh, seeing from Firo, uh, from, from Rosenam Yunus in her last fight. I think that could drive the public to go and buy some Manon Firo cards. And uh, Dirty Mert uh, wants to know if I have a girlfriend that he will be my dirty uh, muse. No, thank you. No, thank you. It's a, that's a hard pass for me, Dirty Muse. I, I am dating somebody right now. Ritz saying that uh, Rosenam Yunus got submitted by Jillian Robertson. She did, but that was a minute ago. If you go ahead and look at how long ago that was, that was Rosenam Yunus. Let's see. When did she get submitted? All right. So Rosenam Yunus. All right. How long ago was that? I mean, it's the same. Like, if you go and look at Rose Nami Yunus when she was on The Ultimate Fighter, she's not the same fighter now that she was then. That was, how long ago was she on The Ultimate Fighter? I don't even have The Ultimate Fighter fights on the, uh, oh, they do have it here. Do you mean that she got subbed by Carla Esparza? Is that the fight that you're talking about? For Rose Nami Yunus? Oh, the grappling fight, you mean? Oh, I don't care about, I don't care about grappling matches. I thought that you were talking about her contender or her, uh, her, the ultimate fighter loss to, to, uh, Carla Esparza. So that was actually the fight for the initial strawweight belt in the UFC that she got submitted by Carla. You know, when you're just talking about a grappling match where there's no striking involved and it's just straight up grappling, like I don't really put a whole lot of stock into that, at least as far as it translates to UFC fights. It's, it's like a different sport. It's like looking at boxing results and trying to apply it to what's going to happen in MMA foot or vice versa, right? If you look at any of these like celebrity boxing crossover matches and trying to take somebody's MMA results and trying to apply it to a boxing match, it just doesn't mean a whole lot to me when you're looking cross sports, what happens in other, uh, other of those situations. If I'm trying to play devil's advocate, at the very least, her taking place in grappling tournaments seems to mean to me that at least she's focusing on a wrestling grappling ahead of this fight. But yeah, I wouldn't put too, too much stock into that. It also took place, uh, was that almost a year ago now, that, that grappling match against Jillian Robertson. He uh, followed up Ritz and said that he likes Rose and he was going to bet on her, but he was talked off on it on the point that she lost in the grappling match here. Right, I'm not that old. I know it was my birthday recently, but now I've got topology is giving me uh, like, what is that? Assisted living advertisement? Come on, I'm 33 years old, topology. All right, let's go back and look at the odds for this. And uh, once again, if you guys have any other questions, just going to be here for a couple more minutes before we sign out for the night. But some other fights that I think we should be looking at here. One is the Angelusa against Reese McKee fight, where I actually pretty strongly disagree with these odds. Right around a pick to finish inside the distance, Reese McKee fights like a maniac in a lot of his fights. Look at some of the stats for Reese McKee, who, by the way, is very, very tough. 
But look at this fight against Alex Morono, for instance. This was his last fight in the UFC before he got cut. Reese McKee lands 124 significant strikes, 133 total strikes, and then he absorbs 176 significant strikes for Alex Morono, 208 strikes in total. So Morono put up a massive score against Reese McKee in this fight. I don't think we should put too much stock into Reese McKee's other UFC fight because he went against Hamzat Chemaev on late notice. So he gets shut out there and gets finished in the first round. Chemaev lands one takedown, just smashed him in the face with elbows until the ref stepped in and stopped it. But I think this is what we could kind of expect from Reese McKee on the feet is a ton of volume. And the other thing, too, is if you're not able to match his volume, he's not going to stop. And we've also seen that from Reese McKee outside of the UFC in some of the fights that we've seen him in. So overall, he lands 6.83 significant strikes per minute on paper, absorbs 11.9. And look at the numbers for Angelusa, who his fights have also been pretty high output on the feet, landing 6.24 significant strikes per minute, absorbing 7.47. This is a sneaky fight to score really well. Because if you look at Angelusa, for instance, on the Contender Series, brutal matchup for him. He has to fight Jack Della Madeleine on the Contender Series. So he loses that fight, makes his UFC debut against Munir Lezez, another really tough fight. Lezez, a lot of output, ends up landing 141. So I know that his fights have been going to decision. I know that Reese McKee, a lot of his fights have gone to decision as well. I think this is going to be a war, though, just based on some of these stats I showed you guys before. The history of their fights, how much output we've seen from them, the fact that both these guys have been willing to stand and trade in the pocket. Look at this. Both these guys are landing north of six significant strikes per minute and zero defense on the part of either of them. Both of them sub-50% striking defense. I think this is going to be a fight that's just going to be a war where these guys stand and trade and just put up a ton of significant strike stats on the feet. If anybody lands a takedown, I would say it's probably going to be Angelusa, but... I still think this is a fight that's primarily going to play out on the feet. A lot of strikes being exchanged and a pretty big score going to whoever wins. So that does it for me today, guys. Thank you very much for watching. I'm doing a more in-depth breakdown going fight by fight. Going to cover every single fight on Friday, talking about it from a DraftKings Classic perspective as well as a Rainmaker's perspective. If you haven't done yet, do me a favor. Like this, like this video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and if you want to claim a starters pack for PGA or for any of the sports that we have in the Rainmaker Streets for DraftKings right now. We've got football coming up in just a week from now. We're going to be covering that on the YouTube channel. There's a starters pack available for that in PGA. Even though the season is winding down, still you get a starters pack for that as well. So thank you guys very much for watching. Good luck this week. Check out my video on Friday. Peace out. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.